You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. And today I have my friend and my colleague, um, Brittany Howard. She is a PA and she actually works with me at the Skin Click, but we briefly, very, very briefly worked together, gosh, like almost 10 years ago at Medical University of South Carolina. And she has truly one of the most just uh, interesting, fascinating and eye-opening medical histories that I think you guys will be really interested in. And the reason I wanted to interview her during February, so it's Heart Month. I know we've talked about that a little bit in a previous podcast, but Heart Month, you know, means very different things to to different people. And so Brittany's here and she's going to tell a little bit of her story and and you'll understand why. So Brittany, thank you so much for talking today. Thank you, Claire, for having me. Yeah, so I'm Brittany. I'm born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. And like Claire mentioned, I'm a PA and I worked initially at MUSC and ENT. And I did that for 10 years. And I loved it. And then I had two boys and I was pregnant with my third child and found out I was having a little girl. And so that pregnant, my two prior pregnancies with the boys were just like easy, normal, typical pregnancies. And with this last one, Ellisan, it got quite different. And yes, heart month means a lot to me because of this, this story here. It all began with like a dry cough. And as an ENTPA, and you can relate to this, we used to treat cough due to acid reflux, like reflux, all the time. Yeah. 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 So I, and of course, pregnancy predisposes you to reflux. So I was like, all right, I have, I have reflux. So I talked to my um, OB about it and she agreed to let's start on some reflux medication and it didn't touch the cough. The cough continued and it, it progressed over the next several months. I, the cough probably started about four to five months pregnant and then it just got progressively worse as I went along. And it became so bad that I was like having difficulty even seeing patients because I was basically like coughing the whole time and really couldn't sleep because of the cough. And so about mm, six weeks before I delivered, I talked to my OB about it again. And um, she thought maybe I had pneumonia, Mm -hmm. but didn't want to get a chest x-ray because I was so far along. So just went ahead and treated with antibiotics and steroids and that didn't touch it either. And then at this point, I started developing like severe shortness of breath, like so severe. I'd walk like three steps up a flight of stairs and had to stop, which was very abnormal for me. Um, Even when you're super pregnant, like that's not. Yeah. Oh, that was way not normal, especially like comparing to my two prior pregnancies like that I should have known. And then like changing a load of laundry from the washer to the dryer, I would literally have to sit down afterwards to catch my breath because I would be panting. (laughs) It's just giving me anxiety. Like I can't, I mean. I was horrible. And And you had two children. And I had two children and that was the thing. I'm very much a person who's like, I'm going to be okay. And I just kept saying, you know, after the pregnancy, it's all going to go away. Like I'm going to be fine. And that was the thing. I had a 12-year-old at the time, a 12-year-old boy, and I'm like running him from, he played every sport under 
the, in the world. So I'm running him all over the world. And then I had a two-year-old son, so chasing him around. And I still work full-time. So I'm like, all right, I'm just exhausted. Once I get through this, like we're all going to be okay. And so I just pushed through. And I was never like super advocate for myself because I just thought I'm going to be better. And then I, I got to 38 weeks and I, um, I went into labor naturally. And my husband and I went to the, to the hospital. And with my two prior kids, I had had an epidural with both of the boys. And with this, with this one, we had thought it would be our last one our last baby. And I just, part of me wanted to do the natural thing. I'd set it to Lake like a couple months before just mentioned, I think I might try it natural, but I went into No part of me wants to do that. Zero percent of me wants to do that. Just putting that out there. God bless you. It's kind of insanity. (laughs) I I just wanted it. I don't know why, but I'll tell you why that ended up being important because that ended up maybe being like a life-saving thing for me, they think. Um, So I went to the hospital saying in my mind, you know, I'm going to try it natural, but if I give up, it's okay. Like it's not going to crush me. Like I've done two with epidural. You don't get a certificate at the end. Right. Exactly. You You still get your baby. So we get there and I'm laboring and I'm like, um, I'm in it. Like I'm in it. I've labored. And so I I look to Lake and I'm like, don't let me give up. Like at no point can I give up this far along. Like I'm, I'm in this. So I ended up having her naturally. And she was great. She came out screaming, but she came out tiny. And I immediately like, mom, you know, you have that mom feeling. I'm like, what's wrong with her? What, why is she so tiny? Cause she was six pounds and the boys were seven, eight, eight, four and, and a pound and a half in an infant is huge. That's, I mean, yeah. she looked, she looked like so different and they're like, oh, she's fine. She's completely fine. Completely fine. Apgar scores good. Everything. So I'm like, all right, well then we're okay. I stayed um, one night in the hospital that night and I was having these like real severe right upper quadrant pains, like really high under my breast. And they were saying like, you know, that each baby, your contractions get worse, your postpartum contractions. And I'm like, all right. So I ended up going home and spending, you know, the first night at home and I was sick as a dog. I, I was so sick. But I didn't know it still. I'm still just thinking like, okay, I, I don't still know. Coughing? Like what, coughing. what do you mean sick? Like coughing and coughing. I couldn't okay. I couldn't breathe. I she she went to bed that night and um Lake did too. And I would try to lie, lay back, lay down, and I literally just was like drowning. Like I felt like I was drowning. And I kept sitting up and being like, I'm having some weird hormone anxiety stuff, which was way out of the norm, but something is wrong with me right now. (laughs) And I'd get up and walk around and like try to ease my mind and just be like, breathe, you're okay, like you're fine. And still just not really aware of how sick I was because it was like, you know, a progression towards sickness. And I shouldn't be sick, right? I was 32, healthy, never had a problem. So in my mind, I'm like, there's nothing serious going on here. So I literally didn't sleep a wink that night because I I could not breathe. So we went to the pediatrician for her two-day visit. And it was um, me and Lake and then our two-year-old and the baby, Ellisan. And the pediatrician, who had also been my pediatrician, (laughs) so knew knew us very well. (laughs) I know. Knew us very well. I'm sitting there describing like, and I'm talking like this, I'm nursing every two, like I couldn't even, I couldn't speak in sentence. Yeah, it was horrible. Looking back, it was horrible. Like it was crazy in the midst. Like I, like I said, I just didn't realize how bad I was. And she's like, right. you don't look well. And I'm like, I really don't feel well. Right. And she's like, you should go straight to the ER. 
So we dropped the two, my two-year-off off with a babysitter and we went straight to the ER. My mom worked at MUSC. So we went to MUSC main ER because in my mind, now that I'm like, okay, you really are, you do not feel well. I'm thinking I'm going to get a chest x-ray. It's going to show I had some lingering pneumonia and I'm going to get some antibiotics and steroids and I'm going to go home. Like I was still never thinking anything scary. Well, that was not the case. I got there and my heart rate was like really high, like 150. And, um, they got the chest x-ray and it showed I had an enlarged heart. So from there they ordered in the ER an echocardiogram and that came back with, um, showing I was in severe heart failure. I had an ejection fraction of 13%. What's a normal ejection fraction? Between 50, between 55 and 60. Okay. So that means your heart was functioning. Gosh, I mean, don't make me do math, but like yeah. Significantly yeah, lower, that. lower than it should have been. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to do math in my head right now too. I'm not yeah. sure, but not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's severe. It's categorized as severe heart failure. So I got up, I was going to the restroom and the nurse was like, you can't, you can't ambulate right now. You have to stay in bed. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, your, your ejection fraction 13%. And I'm like, what? I need to talk yeah. to the attending. And she came in and she said, um, I was going to go, I needed to go straight to the cardiovascular ICU at MUSC. So they took me by ambulance there and it felt like a thousand people were in my room. It probably wasn't that many, but I was so overwhelmed. And then we were met by the attending on call that night, Dr. Michael Craig. And he he told us that, you know, this is, this is really serious. This is really bad. Like you're going to have to go straight to the cath lab and have a heart pump placed. And I was just like in a whirlwind. I mean, I had a two day old baby and I was, I I nursed, I had no means for her. And so I was flipped out, not for myself, but for my baby. And I'm like, I I cannot go. Like my baby is about to be hungry. Yeah. I actually can't do this right now. Right. (laughs) You have to wait. But I had to go. I had no choice. So they got all the stuff I needed from the NICU so that my mom and my husband could take care of her while I was gone. And at the time, I didn't realize you usually get sedation for these sort of things because they were placing a heart pump through my growing and then that goes up to your heart. And but my heart pump. Okay, wait, I can need you to back up. All right. What like all I can think of is like a pacemaker, but that's not like no. So they go, in, they go in through your growing and lead that to your heart. And it's like actual little device in there that helps you pump blood out of your left ventricle. So your last part of your chamber that pumps the blood to your body. I did not know that was a thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't either. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm wide awake and I'm not even thinking about what they're doing to me. In fact, I'm kind of thinking like, this seems like a lot. Like I didn't think I was that sick. Like this is kind of aggressive here, guys. This is aggressive guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm thinking about her cause I mean, she's two days old and I'm, I'm flipped out. I'm in my, in the room, in the cath lab, pleading my case in my head to what I'm going to say to the nurses and the nurse managers and the doctors about my baby. Yeah. So I get back to the ICU. They successfully placed the heart pump. And I had a male nurse, Peter, who I absolutely adore. And I was like, Peter, what's the plan with the baby? Have y'all discussed the baby? And he, um, it makes me emotional, but he, he was like, we've quickly realized like, you're, you're not going to do well without your baby. So we're going to let her live in the ICU with you. And I'm like, stop. No, they did not. (laughs) 
I know we said before we started, she was like, I'm, I said, you might get emotional. She goes, I'm going to get emotional. I was like, just know that I will probably cry at the same time that you are crying. They brought your baby into the ICU. Yes. The adult Stop. cardiovascular ICU. I mean, oh I, I'll tell you, I was the most popular person on that floor, not because of me, but because those nurses have never seen a baby on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So from that, uh, that helped because again, I was so flipped out over her. So from that day forward, she lived with me in the ICU. Okay. I have a stupid technical question that probably like is so irrelevant, but I just like as a mom and a mom who nursed and I'm like, oh, were you so panicked about your breast milk and like your boobs hurt and everything? Okay. Were they like, we're going to pump your boobs for you. Don't worry. Or were they just like, it's time for formula and you've got to move on. Like yeah, that's a good question. That was actually actually very controversial. I was not going to give up on breastfeeding just because I had breastfed my boys and I love it. I mean, it's not for everyone. It's yeah. fine. But for me, it was my thing. And also it was the only thing I could do to take care of her in the ICU. With a heart right. pump, you're completely right. bed bound. You can't bend at your waist. I mean, when I say I lay can't flat on my back, and, I can't do uh, anything. They would have to lay her on me. So I was like, I this is one thing I'm not giving in to y'all on. And it was very controversial. There's a group of seven um, heart failure doctors, and they were very split on the decision uh, uh-huh. uh, for what I should do because I'm not a common patient. I mean, they don't see postpartum heart failure, breastfeeding moms very often. And so I, um, the, the doctor who was on call who took me for my first week on, they do week on, week off. He, he didn't want me to do it, but the other guys were like, uh, oh, there's not great data to support it. So if she wants to do it, she can do it. And I was like, I'm doing it. Like, you, Which, you're not I mean, I stop. understand them being like, you might die. Let's give up, let's give her some formula if it takes one less. Well, looking back me too, because right. think about it. Breastfeeding is consuming energy. I mean, it's, it's right. hard on your body. It's a wild card. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a wild card for somebody who's like so unstable. So, I mean, right. I don't, not to like fault, I'm not asking that to like fault any of the, you know, decisions that they made or you made. I'm like so curious, just like what happened, especially knowing too, like you were, you were so anxious and that can be anxiety producing, whether you are or are not just like th- feeding your baby yeah. is anxiety producing. I don't care how you do it. So, okay. Right. Sorry. For the sad note, I was so intrigued by the, what, what you ended up doing. Yeah. Okay. So you were nursing your baby. Laying First flat of all, on my back. <laughs> MUSC, like, I, I mean, that's incredible that they adapted. I can't imagine the policy nightmare that that became for them to like, have Can you a, not? I mean, no, it's crazy. I don't yeah. think y'all understand if you've never worked in a hospital, I mean, it's like, you can't bring your own anything, much less human. No, and they they went to bat for me. They got the lactation consultant in there. They got their big, huge, giant, like portable pumps that they have in the hospital. They were coming every day oh, yeah. to help me. Gosh, I mean, they, wow. yeah, it was probably a nightmare for them, but they were so good to me. <laughs> they let I bet me the do. lactation consultants were like, we ride at dawn for these bitches and we will be over here in the heart and <laughs> in, in the adult heart hospital. That's where that's we right. will be. Gosh, that's so funny. Okay. Carry on. So you had your heart pump, you're nursing your baby in the mm-hmm. adult ICU. In the adult ICU. So I did that first six days with the heart pump in. And again, I'm completely flat and I'm postpartum. So think about oh, that. Yes. <laughs> with, with the male nurse. No, I'm just kidding. They had lots Ugh. of female attention. Um, 
so that went on for six days. And then they, after that, they tried lots of different medications, but from the get go, they kept telling me like, you're, we really don't think we're going to save your heart. Like you need to start thinking transplant. And again, I didn't feel that bad. I mean, they were giving me lots of support. So that's probably why I didn't feel horrible, but I was just so focused on Ellisanne and taking care of her. And this isn't as bad as they say it is that that the conversation yeah. of transplant like never really entered. Like I, I never really processed that. Yeah. But then after they tried lots of medications, it was like a week and a half and they were taking me back to the cath lab to put the, or to check the pressures in my heart. And to do that, they put this really obtrusive giant thing in your right side of your neck called a swan catheter. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I came back to bedside or came back to the ICU with the swan catheter, that that meant I hadn't improved and that I'd be listed. And, um, so down there, you know, obviously I'm really hoping that that gets pulled out of my neck and I'm going to be okay. But I did come back to the ICU with the catheter and I had that day, I had become friends with a lot of the male, the female nurses, because a lot of them were my age and could relate and and had kids and could relate to what I was going through or could, you know, it personalize it for them. And I had Sarah, who was still my very good friend because of all this. And, um, she saw me with my swan catheter and she'd been in the ICU forever. And so she knew what that meant. And I remember looking at her and, um, she and I were both crying immediately because we knew that that meant I'd be listed. And, for a heart transplant. Yeah, for heart yeah. transplant. And so I remember looking at my mom and my husband and just saying, like, I can't talk. I can't talk. I was just, I was sad, but I was also just emotionless. Like, it was the most bizarre feeling I've ever felt in my life. And I had to start weaning that day in preparation for transplant. So and because I weaned so quickly, because I had been at this point breastfeeding for almost t- two weeks, and then I just pretty much had to cold turkey it because they were hurt. listing me. Yeah, I ended up getting mastitis. Oh, God. And so, it, yes. You're so was, sick. You're so sick. I mean, I had rigors, with, you know, chills like I had never had before and fever yeah. and all of it. So they had to get infectious disease in there and get me on two different kinds of antibiotics. And so I had to be delisted because you can't receive a heart when you have an infection. So they delisted me. And that weekend was my second, my son's second birthday. And we had a birthday party in the ICU (laughs) with cake and balloons and all the family. And then I recovered from mastitis over those couple days. So then it was Monday, October 8th. And I'd been in about two and a half weeks at that point. And, um, they relisted me. And up until this point, I, like I said, I, I didn't think I was that sick. But again, I was getting lots of support, but I still was just like, this can't be real. Like I'm, I don't feel that horrible. But then starting that Monday, when I got relisted, I started going into ventricular tachycardia, which Mm -hmm. for those that don't know is the most fatal arrhythmia. It's like the one where all the nurses and the residents and everybody rush to your bedside and get ready to paddle you to shock you. Um, so it's very alarming and you can feel it. It feels like, um, your heart's literally popping out of your chest. Like it's the most bizarre feeling, scary feeling. And I started feeling really sick. Like I had no energy and I couldn't eat. I mean, I, I felt sick. So I, I quickly realized that week, like this was, this needed to happen or I was not going to make it. 
supplements and vitamins are just a part of so many of our daily lives now, so how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorn. Thorn has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorn product through me when you create your account at thorn.com slash you slash dabblecoat and you'll receive 15% off and free shipping on all your future orders. When you create your account, you'll just be prompted to confirm Dabbleco as your referral and the discounts applied in the cart after you create your account. Again, that's thorn.com slash you like the letter U slash Dabbleco. And you can also find the direct link in the show notes. So on, um, I'm a cry again. On October 12th, I had been listed for four days at this point. It was my husband and I's wedding anniversary. And we were just talking about, gosh, we just need for our anniversary a heart, which was a sad thing to say because knowing that you're asking for a heart, but that means someone else is going to die for your heart. Yeah. Um, but at, um, sorry, at 11.53 p.m. that night, I'll never forget it. The transplant coordinator called me and said, hey, Brittany, this is the transplant coordinator. And we found you a match. I try to get some rest tonight and we'll take you to the OR in the morning. And I know it was um, super emotional. I mean, we like cheered, my husband and I, which is a sad thought. But we, again, at this point, I realized, and they'd been telling me all along that if I was going to make it out of the hospital, it was only going to be with a new heart. So I realized. Crazy. Crazy. So we realized that it was, um, you know, my only chance for survival. And then we were also mourning the death of whoever the individual was and mourning our old life because we knew they'd given us lots of education that it's not a heart and you're done. I mean, it was the rest of your life, definitely a new life and a new journey for us. So I did not sleep that night at all. I stayed up writing notes to my children and Lake and telling them I'd be home soon. And then um, the next morning, my mom and my dad and my brother and sister-in-law and my infant and my husband were in the room and said my goodbyes. And I went off to the OR. Gosh, I know. Were you saying goodbye because you just wanted, like, did you think that this might be it? I mean, no. how do you do that? I, I never thought I was going to die. I didn't. Yeah. I always thought I'd get home. I mean, I was scared, don't get me wrong, but I was mostly just sad. I was sad. I just couldn't believe this was happening to me and I was scared for my kids, I was scared for Lake, Um, but I never really thought I was going to die. I was just more, I knew it was just going to be a long road ahead, which is hard for me. I'm like the Energizer Bunny, I never stopped. So I knew it was going to be really, really tough for us, but um. I, I, so I think we, I was in there like nine hours and then they successfully transplanted the heart and I, um, woke, they extubated me that afternoon and I got to see them again. So it all went really well. Yeah. And then from there I went back to the ICU for three nights and then to the floor for six days. And then I, um, went home which was amazing, but I, I wasn't feeling well. And I didn't know at the time what it was. I just thought, you know, transplant, my gosh. 
but I was having these, like the worst headaches you've ever had in your mind, in your life. Like you just wanted your head to fall off. And I was having these episodes of like, I couldn't see, like everything was really blurry. And they had told me my drugs, my immunosuppression drugs are really hard on your body and they can cause some really funky things. And headache was a side effect. So I was like, golly, if this is a headache I have to live with, like, I can't live like this. Um, so I called them and they're like, well, you're coming in in the morning. So let, let's look it over and see what's going on. So the next morning, I only got to stay home one night. I went in for a routine heart biopsy. So after transplant, there's a ton of biopsies and you have one weekly really? for mm-hmm. oh, every week, weekly for, I think it was six weeks for the first wow. six weeks. And then it stretches out from there. The first, or maybe it was weekly for four weeks. Because I know the first mm, year post-transplant, I had 15. So, yeah, it must have been weekly for four weeks and then, like, every couple weeks. Um, But then after the the biopsy went fine, but then after the biopsy in the recovery room, I ended up having a seizure. What the hell? This just keeps going. They had told me – they had really done a great job preparing me that this won't be your last admission, like, after transplant. They're, like, in the first year of life, something bad will go wrong. Maybe not morbidity, Gosh. but there, this is a hard road ahead your first year. So be prepared that you're going to have some kind of hiccup. And that was my one hiccup. And uh, well, one big hiccup. And it was due to my anti-rejection drug. It causes encephalopathy or swelling of your brain. Mm. And um, so obviously I had to stop that. And I had to get readmitted back to the ICU, which was devastating. I just wanted to go home. I got back readmitted for a week while they started me on a different anti-rejection medication. And so then finally, after they settled all that, I was doing a lot better. Headaches were gone. My labs were looking decent. After 41 days, I finally got home and I haven't gone back. I've gone back to the hospital, not for an overnight stay though. That is, it's it's just wild and there's no other way to say it. And, and I mean, I'm making assumptions here, but that's just cause you were pregnant. Like, I mean, you just had pregnancy. What do they call it? Like car- pregnancy induced heart failure or pregnant, like cardiomyopathy. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, okay, but well, that was the confusing part. So they, they called it postpartum cardiomyopathy. So meaning due to your pregnancy, your postpartum, it's enlargement of your heart due to that. And that is something fairly common. I mean, it's not extremely common, but it's definitely documented that all cardiologists know about it. Um, so because I had a two-day-old baby, that's what they called it. And But all along, they kept telling me, we really don't think it's this because my heart was so far gone. Most people who have postpartum or peripartum cardiomyopathy, they, they don't end up having to go do transplant. They usually need medications for a few months, sometimes years, maybe for the rest of their life, but they're usually not in like severe heart failure like I was and have such significant enlargement of their heart like I did. And so that's why they feel like it wasn't peripartum because my heart was so huge. Um, they said it had already doubled in the size and they say there's no way for that to have double that quickly and just your pregnancy period. And that's when the cough comes in? Like, cause you were, did they think that's when it started or did they think it started even before you were pregnant? And then that just made it so much worse. They think it probably started. So they, so they told me that it was probably a genetic condition that I'd had all along and mm-hmm. that maybe with each pregnancy it made it a little worse, like mm-hmm. made your heart a little, my heart a little bit more enlarged. 
but they said until you're, because I was otherwise young and healthy until you're really sick, you don't even notice. Like I, I was completely normal with all of the other ones, but they say if I would have had echoes back then, they probably would have seen changes on my heart years and years ago that I just, again, just couldn't feel. And then something with this pregnancy, I don't know what, um, maybe just it being my third one, just push it over the edge. Gosh. I mean, okay. So in, in obviously you have so much hindsight and it, it sounds like people took care of you, but probably could have done things a little differently or were they like, what's crazy too is, you know, in medicine, okay. You say there's a saying that's like, if you hear a pack of horses, you know, don't be looking for the zebra. So like common things are common and, you know, like we talked about cough and they treated you for reflux and pneumonia and there's only so much you can do when you're pregnant. Like you really shouldn't get an x-ray unless you have to. And right. You're not, not getting certain tests, but I mean, there, there are other things like you could have had an echo while you were pregnant. That's an ultrasound of the heart. But, um, do they think like, oh, we should have done something differently or we, you know, maybe we could have caught it six weeks earlier. Let's see. Cause it, I don't know, I guess you, what's the earliest they would have induced maybe like 32 weeks. I don't know. I mean, there's so much hindsight. Yeah. I'm sure they can't even really speculate appropriately. Yeah. There, there is so much hindsight. I think, um, for one, yeah, I think it could have been caught. I mean, I was extremely sick <laughs> and yeah. coughing my head off. But also I was not an advocate for myself. I would go in and be like, I don't feel good, but I'll be okay. And like you, like you were saying, common things being common, most people look at me and they're like, welcome to normal pregnancy. You never had a bit of swelling before. This is normal. Most, most women sm- swell. You never yeah. felt tired before. Most women feel tired pregnant. You know, it was easy to dismiss a lot of my things yeah. except the cough. The cough was weird because it was even and- a little short of breath. I mean, you would, it's yeah, pretty it normal to be a little short to. of breath. Right. You were extremely short of breath, but extremely short of breath. Still. But again, I wasn't going in there saying I can't breathe at night. I was going in there saying like, I feel horrible, but I'll be okay. So yeah, that makes people not look as hard, but yeah, I think we could have caught it, but I asked my doctors about that and they said, um, I think you are probably be thankful that it wasn't caught. I don't think you would have liked the outcome. So I don't know if I would have my children had it been caught. Yeah. Interesting. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a, even a different, different outcome that you wouldn't even think about. Gosh, so hard. Um, so just kind of going back to, to heart month a little bit, like when I had, um, I don't know if you heard the episode that I did with a, a lady, Jessica McDevitt. She has a, had a little boy that has um, LVH and some other issues, but we had a conversation and, and she was just talking about, you know, heart month looks like so, so different for so many. And the main focus is just cardiovascular disease, um, which is still like, it's just so interesting. We have all these months that look very like happy and celebratory, but it's the number one killer of people in America. And it's, right. it, I think it's kind of same as breast cancer month. It's like, everything's pink, but like women are dying. You know, it's a very like confusing yeah. dichotomy, dichotomy. So, um, I don't know. Do you think about that during, during February? She particularly just said that like February is a tough month for them. Cause like it's, that's their life. And I don't know. I was just wondering like, if you think about that now, or if you're like, you know what, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know. I, 
I do. I do think about it. And I think about it. It it also kind of makes it's tough for me too. It makes me sad a little bit too, because it is the, what I live day in and day out and I will for the rest of my life. And it also, yeah, like you were saying, everybody thinks cardiovascular disease. There's so much more than heart than that. And I, I think that people just need to be more aware of that. It's also especially tough because today, especially is national donor day, which is the day you honor your donors. And so I think about that all the time, but especially this time. Um, Did did you ever find out who your donor was or do you know anything about them? I do know him. Yeah. I I know, yes, who he was. Um, When I got readmitted that for that week, when I had that seizure, it's like Mm. the only thing I could think about. And so I wrote the family and they, they wrote me back and we've met. Uh They're, they're really awesome people. He was 26 with a wife and a six-year-old. Um, I know terrible, but, um, Josh is his name, but yeah, it, it feels good to know them, but it's also just a lot. It <laughs> is a lot. Gosh, this didn't even happen to me. And I'm like, this is all, there's so many like moving parts to there's it. There's so but- many moving parts. So if you've been following DabbleCo and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, It solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, So it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about organ donation while we're on that like incredibly poignant like note. So I feel like it's really interesting to me. Let me like get my shit together for a second. (laughs) It's really interesting to me. So, you know, when you're in working in the hospital, you kind of know everybody's status of everything, like their blood type and their, you know, are they DNR and DNN? Are they an organ donor and all that? Or at least where I was, the floor I was working on because people died a lot, but (laughs) (laughs) it was a rough med surge floor. Um, but I, organ donation to me was just always like such a no brainer. Cause like I'm, I'm dead. I don't need my stuff anymore. Might as well like you, like save someone else's life. And it's, it's as simple as a signature on the back of your driver's license. You know, it doesn't even, you don't have to have a will or a living will or anything advanced directives, but there, there is, I was always shocked when people would say they didn't want to be an organ donor. And I never really understood that. And I don't know if people don't know what it means or if they think it means like I'm donating my body to science or if they think organs are like sold. I don't know if they think it's like, I don't want the hospital to make money on my organs. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. 
I, I don't know either. It's very strange to me. Like you, it was never even a thought. I mean, since I was 16, I checked that. Yeah, I'm going to be an organ donor. I, why, why, why would I yeah. want them? I mean, I'm dead. Now, obviously, it's much more personal to me. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of myths regarding it. I've heard the big one of the biggest myths I've heard is that if you are an organ donor, or yeah, if you are an organ donor, the physicians don't fight as much for you. Like they'll let you die easier. Oh quicker. gosh. And I'm like, that's not true. The physicians don't care about one life over another. Like they just want to save every you know, like that's and right. actually they don't really know that until like you're pronounced dead. You know what I mean? Like for people right. aren't then they have so, to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Right. No. So I, I, I don't understand that one. And I think people just really aren't, or just don't know enough about it. I mean, I just don't think they realize like one person can save eight people's lives. Why would you not want to do that? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, and that makes sense if it's that kind of myth that's circulating that, um, that somehow, I, I mean, I can, I can see how that would kind of get started, right? As people think like it's this big money-making thing. I mean, the reality is this is like very grim, but let's talk about like kidneys for a second. The reality is that the kidney, like let's say you're in kidney failure, you've got to have dialysis your whole life and take a million different medicines and procedures and all this stuff. When you get a kidney transplant, they make less money off of you. I mean, yeah, the surgery, but like then you're, you're so much better. You're not having this constant medical care. So it's, it would, it's really the opposite. Like you would think they wouldn't want you to have these transplants, but, um, gosh, yeah, it's, it's just so, it's just so incredible what they can do with these organs now. I mean, I think it's, I'm going to totally butcher this number, but it's one person, if you're an organ donor, what are they like? Is it like 15 or 20 different things they can do? Cause it's like your kidneys. And I think they can do like multiple things with your liver and now they can do pancreas stuff and your, your, um, corneas. Can't they transplant your corneas? Oh yeah. And, and skin. Heart. I mean, they, you can, yeah, oh, you can affect so many different people. You can crazy. save eight lives because you can give eight life-saving organs, but then you can really affect people's quality of lives greater than that. Like with the skin and the tissue and the cornea, as you were saying. Yeah. So it, the, the amount of people you can touch with just one life is amazing. Oh man. Um, so what are you doing now? Now I am. So because I'm immunocompromised, I take the, the med- anti-rejection medications, which make me have no immune system. So I'm much more successful, susceptible to disease. Yeah. Um, my team doesn't want me to do ENT, which is what I had done for 10 years prior to transplant. So I took some time with my kids to figure out this yeah. life. And I took a few years off of work. And then um, now I'm working for this amazing company. I don't know if you've heard of the Skin Click. <laughs> and I, um, so I'm doing all the fun concierge aesthetics, which is amazing. Well, it's crazy when you, so we got connected through one of our other injectors. Um, Jenna Nichols said, my, my friend, Brittany Crosby is moving back. And I was like, what? I knew her a long yeah. time ago. Like what, where did she come back from? And, um, had heard your story through, we got like a department wide email and, um, gosh, I was like, absolutely. She would be perfect. And then, you know, you sent us my, my, um, 
co-founder and I, or my founder and I'm the co-founder, but, um, Dr. Allen and a few, a few months after he had started working and just sent us this text that, I mean, we both called each other, literally we both called each other crying. Like (laughs) I know I said that and I was like, I'm dead serious. Brittany sent us this text that was just basically saying like, you know, I didn't think that I would ever be able to go back to work and just like, thank you for creating this opportunity for, for women and, and for someone like me who can, you know, be on my own schedule and, and, and be able to do what you need to do for your family. And and you can use your degree and your skills and your, your, all the patients that I've sent you have been like, I love Brittany so great. And you know, thanks. <laughs> and it's just, that really is why we created the the company to, to be able to do things like that. But, um, it's just really uh, special and like very full circle. It is so special. Makes me cry again thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I had major anxiety about going back to the clinic because I just feel like since this such life-changing event, I need flexibility in my life um, to do all the things with grandparents and parents and kids. And this has such allowed me to still use my career in my mind and to meet other women and not just be at home all day, every day with kids, like to have a little outlet, but when I want to do it. And so yeah, I can't thank y'all enough. <laughs> Man. Um, okay. Well, one quick thing I'd love to hear. Um, cause I just, I think about everything that you needed in terms of help. Like, what would you say to people who, who know somebody in their lives? Cause I feel like, okay, what happens a lot of times is you're going through this like hugely traumatic event and people are like, okay, well let us know what you need. And you literally couldn't do that. And then your husband's like managing your kids and you're like in the hospital, you know, real, very sick. Um, and I, I don't know if, you know, some people have grandparents to help some don't, some people have friend support. I know you guys had moved like fairly recently. So what would you say is the most helpful thing that someone could just do for a friend? I mean, it's hard for me to think of one thing I had, I had so, we had so much support. It was incredible. Like just to keep people's kids, give them a break, the food. I mean, everybody brings food and that's always so helpful. And I really, the constant flush of text telling me that you're strong and you're capable and we're thinking of you, it really helps in a moment of crisis. So, I mean, I think just people reaching out in general, just to tell you that they love you and you can do it. Oh gosh. Okay. Well guys, it's heart month and I hope you guys liked Brittany's story and, you know, definitely look around for opportunities this month that you can be helpful, uh, do a heart walk, get involved. Um, if you, if you can donate or just support somebody that is going, going through something, um, it's, it can be such a life-saving thing for people. So I hope you liked this episode and if you did, please rate it, subscribe and share with your friends and I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.